God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. With your kind permission or without, I'm going to start over here today in the St. Mary Chapel. I know that you can't see this very well, but I want to invite you when you can to come and, and, uh, and look at one feature of this chapel. Here on the wall is the crucifix that used to hang in the center of the church before the ambulatory was built out. It's the suffering Christ. And at the, what, but what I want you to uh, be aware of is at the top and the bottom and at the end of the arms are four symbols. A man at the top, an eagle at the bottom, and on one side an ox, and on the other side a lion. Now these are figures that show up first in Ezekiel 1 and then in Revelation chapter 4. And as early Christians began to explain why we have four Gospels, they said, well, we have four Gospels because we need these four different perspectives. And those perspectives, two of those we're going to deal with today. One is the perspective of the man. The man was associated with Matthew's Gospel because it begins with the word Genesis, beginning, and the Gospel begins with giving a list of names of Jesus' genealogy. And part of what Matthew was trying to do is show us, as Josh explained last week in the story of Jesus' temptation, that God with us came to exalt mankind, you and me. Now, what's really interesting, an interesting move that our lectionary makes for this season of Lent is in the next four weeks, we go to John's gospel. And the lectionary is very wise in doing so. John is the eagle, and the eagle is at the foot of the cross. And John is given the eagle because he has this, this magnificent perspective from on high. Because he begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so John has this massive cosmic perspective on who Jesus is, that he is God. But what's interesting is that historically, when Christians lined these up and made a cross of them, and you see the same pattern in the back and the, and the ambulatory, the eagle goes to the bottom of the cross. Why do you think that is? Because the mystery of the Christian faith is that what is what John says in the last paragraph of his first chapter. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it was his dwelling among us and touching us that makes everything new. And that is why we can be exalted as Matthew describes. And what we see during this Lent season is four examples of Jesus coming and touching lives that will be different because he comes to touch them. Today, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, who's been impressed by Jesus' signs and who wants to come and get a theological explanation. Jesus cuts right through 
and insists that Nicodemus deal with, deals with three questions. Jesus challenges him, Nicodemus, are you ready for a do-over in life? Two, Nicodemus, are you willing to acknowledge a soul sickness within you that would destroy you unless you look to the one who comes to bring healing? And three, do you, Nicodemus, have any idea how much God loves you? So, three points. Are you ready for a do-over? Are you ready to acknowledge the rot that's within? And do you have any idea how much God loves you? In verse 3, Jesus introduces the idea of being born anew, born from above. Very simple message here. Everybody needs a do-over. My dad tried to get me to love golf as much as he loved golf. I had a horrible shank just again and again. I'd be hitting it off, off to the right. And every once in a while, my dad would say, okay, Reggie, you get a mulligan on that one. A mulligan is a do-over. My dad was very gracious. He could see that I just, all I, just, it was just built into me. I just turned my wrists and the ball would go that way. Reggie, you need a mulligan. Who doesn't need a mulligan in life? What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is no matter how far you, your education has brought you, no matter that you sit on the Supreme Council, you, sir, need a mulligan. You need a do-over. Every one of us is able to receive from God himself a mulligan, a do-over. I have very few regrets in life. One regret I have is a letter I never answered. My first job out of seminary, I was, I was um, an assistant minister at a church, and it was a church with a lot of young people, a lot of energy, but there was a core of retirees who provided maturity and stability, and for those of us who were f fresh out of seminary starting ministry, there were a couple of gentlemen who just came alongside and was take, would take us to lunch, put their arms around us, and encourage us. And one in particular, his name was Al. Al was so encouraging. He knew all the stuff I needed to unlearn and relearn and how to take stuff that was in my head and put it in my, and get it in my heart and relate to, relate to people. He was such an encouragement to me for the four years I was there. Then we moved to North Carolina, I went to grad school, and he moved from Boca Raton to Tampa, to the Tampa Bay area. A few years passed, and I got a letter from him that had to be, well, well, he was old when I knew him in Boca Raton, he was older now. And he wrote and he said, I really regret that I didn't get to know Jesus until way late in life before my career was over, and before I felt like I had anything really to offer. And I just feel like such a failure. 
I'm so ashamed to stand before you and tell you I didn't write him back and say, oh, Al, it's never too late. The moment that you trust Jesus, eternity opens out to you. And what's behind you is so much shorter than what's ahead of you. And you have lived so well in Christ. And, and I'm one of the people that's going to get to heaven and say, Lord, thank you for sending Al. I don't know where you are. I don't know whether you think it's like your, your, your best game is behind you or, or whether what's ahead of you, if you're young, is just scary. Jesus Christ can come into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and make all things new and make every day a wonderful opportunity to love and serve him. Now, well, okay, I could go on, but I'm not. Because I want to go to number two. Number two, Nic Jesus reminds Nicodemus of a time when in Israel's journey in, um, on the way to the promised land that they got impatient with God and they started whining about his provision for them. We don't like this, uh, the manna and the, what is all that stuff that you give us to eat? It doesn't taste very good. We were better off in Egypt. And God sent snakes among them to, and provided a bite from which there was no recovery. And when the people said, we're really sorry, God told Moses, build a serpent out of bronze and mount it so that people can look at it and they will be healed. The Son of Man has come to be lifted up because in the human heart, there is a virus that is as deadly to the soul as the coronavirus, COVID-D, is to an older person who already has health problems. I'm grateful that the world is getting a chance to see that hygiene is important. May this be a time in which God gives all of us grace to consider hygiene of the soul. What Jesus wants Nicodemus to know is that there is a sickness of the soul that has no cure except for one. Some people are symptomatic. They act out their sin and their rebellion. Like we're going to meet the woman at the well next, next week who's looking for love in all the wrong places. And there's Nicodemus. There's Nicodemus who is looking for truth in all the wrong places. And it's just not as obvious. But it's a virus that will kill you unless you find healing for it. Jesus Christ came that he might bring healing 
to a sickness that is far more fatal than a coronavirus, COVID-19. A sickness that will not just put your body in the grave, but will put you forever separated from the God who made you for relationship with him. The cure is simple. He was lifted up to take it all into himself. And the early church understood that baptism was a bath that cleanses. And then understood that week after week, we would get medicine for our souls. I don't know about you. I'm of a certain age. And for the rest of my life, I will be taking blood pressure medicine. I had my thyroid taken out. I will be taking thyroid replacement medicine. There are probably people in this room who take more pills every day than I do, but the, you, there can't be that many who take more pills than I do. I got a big old bunch in the morning, got a big old bunch in the afternoon, at night, and I got some I'm supposed to take in the middle of the day and I always forget. The early church understood that the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper was God's provision of a medicine for immortality. You've been made clean if you've given your life over to Jesus Christ. But day after day after day, your feet get dirty, you need them washed. There is strength and nourishment and medication that he and only he can provide. And that's what's on offer in the bread and the wine. Third thing that Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know. God so loved the world that he could not stand to see people with no life in themselves. He could not stand to see people perishing forever of the sickness of the soul that sin is. And so he sent his son. So often, this truth is treated as just a bare transitional fact. But I just want you to get a glimmer of the love that is behind it. The Father's love for you that sent the Son all the way to the earth, sent him all the way through his miracles, his meals with sinners, the likes of you and me, all the way to the cruel cross, all the way into the grave, and all the way back, all the way to heaven now, and all the way back down to you in the spirit that gives life and gives us life together. One of the things I learned in coaching Little League was I had to be very careful about the way I talked to some kids. When I yelled at them, it just reminded them of the way that their parents yelled at them or some other coach yelled at them, or some teacher just said, you're no good. 
People today, what people today have a hard time believing that anybody could love them. Maybe that's you. Maybe when you were a child, somebody used your body in a way that never should have happened and just made you feel vile about yourself. Maybe somebody who committed to you walked away from you. Maybe you did that to somebody and you feel like, how could anybody love me? I have, hurt, I have caused so much hurt and damage. The Bible shouts to you, God so loved, insert name, Bill, Sue, Charlie, God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son that all I have to do is believe in him and I will not perish, but have everlasting life. May that be true for you today. May that be true for you t forever. And one more thing. You may feel okay about where you are for good reason. But I know that you know somebody that isn't there. I know that you know somebody that doesn't know what it is to have new life, who doesn't know what it is to have someone say, I know that your soul is sick and I've got the cure. And I know that you know somebody that doesn't believe that anybody really loves them. Would you accept Peter Tepper's um, invitation, his 1102 uh, invitation, Luke 11.2, thy kingdom come. And would you ask the Lord to bring that person, those persons to your mind at 1102 every day for a while? And would you pray for them, your kingdom come? And would you look for the chance, look for the opening, look for the opening to be able to explain the hope that is within you, and perhaps even in the fall to invite them to, to conversation over dinner around just what the faith is. God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. To his praise and honor. Amen.